Hello, Dougs. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. so glad that you remembered the Dugs. As always, we should remember the Dugs, for the Dugs shall never be forgotten and were not forgotten by the narrator of Tress true. of the Emerald Sea. The perfect setup of the Dugs, as I mentioned early on, was great because as a new reader, you're given exactly what you need, the main characters, and then it is revealed that the importance and actually the way that Tress advanced through the story was by the presence of the Dugs and her relationship true. with the Dugs. And let's not forget that these episodes are brought to you by our Dugs, the patrons over on Patreon, bringing you all of the book club episodes and currently going through our Frugal Wizard Handbook book club episodes over on the Patreon, which you can join. But right now, let's talk about some of our amazing patrons. Can you tell me about Bob? Thank you so much for being a patron, Bob. We really appreciate you being in our audience, and we are happy to continue providing the theory crafting and deep dives that you love about this podcast. Yeah, certainly going to be a lot more words of branding and heavily researched coming in some of our later episodes this year as we get back into some Cosmere books for the year of Sanderson. I wanted to give a big shout out to Joe. Joe, a man after my own heart, who leads with a joke saying that the most important thing about the podcast is the importance of bacteria and deep dives into the past, present, and future of the Cosmere economy Joe, me, and Thytokar are just all about that Cosmere economy life. I appreciate you, Joe, sticking on the bandwagon. Joe also says that he appreciates that I provide a reality check to your insanity. So let's just not forget to add that part in. Joe's here for the whole package, and that's why <laughs> we appreciate Joe and all of our Cosmere Not patrons. These are our top tier patrons, the tippy top of the A-list. Huge thanks to Alicia, Andrew, Jake, Matt M., Nandor, Samantha, Seth, Stephanie, Talwood, Travis, and Will. All of our Cosmere Not patrons are amazing and I think that for this episode, when we are talking about the narrator, everyone's fan favorite, Hoyd, it really does provide a lot of kind of enthusiasm in the fandom whenever Hoyd is mentioned. Always. And that's what we're going to be doing here today, which is why I think that reading a book written from Hoyd's perspective has almost reinvigorated my energy around the Cosmere because I know that it's something Brandon has had in his mind for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when we got that, when we got a little bit of what he is planning, because this isn't the main thing, obviously, yeah, we will talk about this, but Hoyt has his own planned series of books near the end of the Cosmere. That will be in different style to Tress. Brandon has said, yeah, this is not the voice that he is going to be using for Dragonsteel. Hoyd's 
backstory. Uh, but this was like a good way for him to start getting into Hoyd's head and sort of what it would be like to write that story. So that is what today's episode is all about. The narrator of Tress of the Emerald Sea, everyone's favorite, Sephandrius, Hoyd, Wit, and the many named near god, perhaps Don Shard of the Cosmere. <laughs> I think we know that he did at one point hold a Don Shard, but he yeah, is don't no he... longer exactly. a Don Shard. That's the thing. What we don't know is the long term impacts and the remnants maybe of being a Don Shard. We think that Hoyd's avoidance of violence is partially a remnant of his Don Shard holding. Yes, his inability to physically harm other things. And that is why so often he is forced and or encouraged to find creative solutions to problems. He cannot just overpower or overmuscle someone, even though he is collecting more and more powers. And really, Tress of the Emerald Sea is about how Hoyd becomes an Elantrian. Yeah, I thought that that was sort of an interesting way to look at this story, an interesting perspective shift that in a way you can consider this to be the story of how Hoyd finally becomes an Elantrian after attempting for, he says, centuries. And while the timeline of the Cosmere is in flux and it's not hard set in stone, we do think that's probably from, you know, the beginning of Elantris, the first book, when yeah. Hoyd may have first wanted that because he was present in the story of Elantris. And isn't there that like epilogue Yeah, scene? it's kind of a short story slash scene yeah. with Hoyd at the perpendicularity on yeah. that planet, which is a pool. Yeah. Let's kind of talk about some of the personal notes and the update on Hoyd's appearance that we get. I think Hoyd's Tress appearance may be one of the most cosplayed of the Cosmere. It's iconic. Iconic. <laughs> Tell us about it. What's a Hoyd looking like from his physical description? Obviously, his wardrobe is the main focus of a lot of the appearance uh, descriptions we get in Tress, but just Hoyd himself is described to be gangly. He's described to have white hair and he appears to be in his 30s. So he kind of shows up looking a little bit differently each time he shows up, but this is how he is appearing in Tress. Do you think that this is more his true form or is this just as much of a manipulation of his appearance as other times we see him i would probably say this is his cursed form this is <laughs> not hoyd and we actually have a quote about just exactly what was taken away from him in the curse and i think that's maybe interesting but no i wouldn't say this is any aspect of like true hoyd because of that cursed nature mm. i think something significant is lost with Hoyd at this moment that we are seeing him. And so I, I couldn't say that it would be true Hoyd because too much is gone. My thought is that perhaps because mm -hmm. his mental faculties have been diminished, he may not have the presence of mind to disguise himself in the way that he usually would. And so he has left to the side all of those like machinations. And maybe this is more of 
his true form. I kind of see the curse operating like the real Hoyd is trapped inside knowing that he is dumb, knowing that he is unable to clearly get out. And so we'll talk about that as we continue on throughout the episode and discuss the curse in greater detail. But let's go to that outfit because it starts at the bottom, goes all the way to the top (laughs) with the sandals rocking the socks simultaneously. Yep. Just your dad at a kid's soccer game. Oh, God. Don't care about nothing. It's hot out. But I need my socks on as well. Can't just go sandals. That's disgusting. (laughs) My favorite is the, I think it's like red sequined boxer shorts. And he says that he purchased them before he was cursed and he stands by the purchase. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe one of the most interesting tieovers, and this was actually pointed out by Reddit user Arshara, that Hoyd has a shirt on with the symbol of the Marewell flower, perhaps purchased on a far future Scadrial. Do we know that for sure? The design of the shirt... When it's described, definitely has kind of uh, flowers. It says like three petaled flower. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't say a Marewell flower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, people believe that that flower on his shirt is the Marewell. And so it's from yeah. like a kind of, you know, Hawaiian shirt era of Scadrial, whenever <laughs> yeah. that may be in their future. <laughs> That's a great detail. And perhaps the most interesting detail of this story is that Hoyd is cursed. And we find out that this is a kind of competition between himself and the Elantrian sorceress. Let's pull apart some of the aspects of the curse because I think that will help us better define Hoyd as a narrator. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I want to start with just this idea about this whole story of Tress of the Emerald Sea really being a story about Hoyd becoming an Elantrian and sort of where this all starts. And we hear a little bit more about this when, at the very end, of course, when they all arrive at the sorceress's palace and, like, everything is coming to light. Mm -hmm. And we have this, quote, Tress swallowed. To her, the woman looked deific. It was the glowing skin. Really helps you land a good first impression. I've been envious of that look for centuries now and have been aiming to adopt it. In fact, that is what this has all been about. End quote. So we start with this premise that becoming an Elantrian is something that Hoyd has been trying to do for centuries. And I believe there have been quotes from past things saying that for some reason becoming an Elantrian is specifically difficult. Um, I think because it has to do with your location, you have to have a connection to Elantris and have to like alter your spirit web basically to like trick the universe into thinking that you are from Erlon so that you can become an Elantrian. And so it's sort of a long process. It's not like becoming a Knight's Radiant where you can just bond a spren. As long as you find a spren that will have you, you got it. Yeah, there's almost a club or secret society aspect to the Elantrians, it appears, because of the invitation that seems to be required. And that's the invitation that Hoyd gets at the end of this story. 
Right. That is something that's sort of added to this equation that we find out uh, in this book, that it's not just that you have to jump through all of these hoops to become an Elantrian, but that there is a, a group of people who sort of gatekeep this. Here's how it's described when Hoyd finally <laughs> gets his wish. Quote, a deep glow pulsed beneath my skin. Finally. Turns out that to get this particular set of powers to work, you couldn't simply fake connection. You needed an invitation and adoption into a very select group. My only chance had been to find one smart enough to be a member of that group, stupid enough for me to toy with, and sadistic enough to trade membership for the opportunity to see me cursed. End quote. To me, this is a sick burn on the sorceress, as well as a great insight into what Hoyd is attempting to accomplish. Earlier in the book, we have uh, this description of the entire situation as well. Quote, I'd had an encounter, well, more a collision with the sorceress a few years before. Let's just say she had something I needed, but liberating it from her proved more difficult than I'd assumed. The end result, the sorceress gave me one of her famous curses. Look, even the most graceful dancer trips once in a while. End quote. Now, I think this and the previous quote that you read in conjunction are really significant because we know that the thing that Hoyd wants is to become an Elantrian. We know that it takes a certain arrogance on the sorceress's part to get involved in this deal and that Hoyt is manipulating that relationship. He's like finding the weakness and attacking it using his Hoyd sensibilities. To me, what stands out, though, is the last line that I read about the most graceful dancer tripping every once in a while. Because in the main Stormlight Archive, we left Hoyd Mm. tripping. You know, that last scene where Terra Vodium seems to get one up on Hoyd is, to me, the first example we have of a graceful dancer tripping Mm -hmm. and then this is another one so to me i'm like are you a graceful dancer you might be tripping (laughs) more than you are aware of yeah i've heard people on the internet sort of speculating about whether this is proof that he is not really duped by teravodium that Mm -hmm. it was like his plan all along but i believe i have actually seen a quote from brandon saying no He was legitimately tricked. Odium got one over on him in that circumstance. I think there's a little bit of space in between those two things, though, because even this circumstance with the sorceress, just because Hoyd went and, like, planned to be cursed doesn't mean he, like, completely anticipated the exact way that it was going to go. Like, he may not have planned for this curse to have lasted a few years, he says in that quote that you read. He visited the sorceress a few years ago, meaning he has been at diminished mental capacity for multiple years. And we don't necessarily know if that was the plan. Maybe he thought, yeah, yeah, he was going to be able to figure his way out of it much quicker and sooner. So in a way, you could say the sorceress put one over on him. And so then it's like, well, then is it the same thing with Odium, where maybe he went expecting some kind of conflict with Terravodium? Of course. 
but didn't necessarily anticipate the exact way that it was going to go. And so even though he planned for it, he's finding himself in a situation that is unexpected that he doesn't know how he's going to get out of. That's my thought. I think that's a great thought and a good description. I imagine it like a sports team or, you know, a football team that has a game plan coming into the game and they're going to run certain plays in certain situations. But the quarterback or on defense, the other players have the ability to call audibles. And basically, Hoyd got into a situation where he needed to call an audible, maybe because it was simply revealed to him how important the invitation from the Elantrian was and it wasn't something he could simply coerce out of her it needed to be like freely given because as we continue to discover intent is so important in many of these magic systems well his plan is to get it through fulfilling his part of the bargain basically the curses but he thinks he can get out of the curse is basically what I'm saying. He's like coming into it with a game plan yeah. and that plan goes awry. And so then he needs to kind of be around long enough for circumstances and trust specifically mm. to like help him to back align. to where he needs yeah. to be. And so it's, you know, the other big Hoyd quote we have that I come back to a lot about what is Hoyd doing in the Cosmere is the concept of waiting as the boulder rolls down the hill and then nudging it just a little bit at the right time. Maybe Hoyd tried to nudge the boulder years ago. It didn't work. And he had to wait for that boulder to come all the way around <laughs> in the form of Tress so that he could nudge it one more time. And the second time is what we see as the finale of this book. And he becomes an Elantrian, which was his original goal. I do also think that probably part of this is that he didn't anticipate the curse being the reduction of his mental capacity, right? He had probably no way to know what exactly the curse was going to be. And he said, yeah, curse me. I'll figure, you know, I'll figure out the curse. And then as soon as I do, you're going to make me an Elantrian. And then ended up in a position where he was like, hmm, this is going to be much more difficult now than it would have been if I was at my full capacity. Which is why I question it, because that seemingly is something that also happened with Teravodium. He goes in with his full abilities and maybe leaves without them all. Mm -hmm. And let's go to the text for a description of what Hoyd lost. Quote, she took my other sense of taste, the important one. And with it, my sense of humor, my sense of decorum, my sense of purpose, and my sense of self. The last one stung the most, since it appears my sense of self is tied directly to my wit. End quote. I find the wordplay there all important, mm -hmm. where the sense of taste, obviously not the one in your mouth, but your sense of the world around you and like what is stylish and what Adolin... Yeah, your, your aesthetic taste. Yeah, of course. And... and to me, Adolin is like one of the best examples of this, someone who's interested and has taste mm. and is, you know, displaying that affection. But everyone has something like that. Well, and, and to connect it to self, as exactly. Hoyd does here, because your sense of taste is also essentially your perception, your preferences, what mm. you like, you know, the things that are sort of unique to you that you find pleasing and so that is sort of innately tied into who you are. And so if it gets taken away, that is part of yourself that suddenly is missing. Which to me is more interesting maybe than what happened to 
Teravangian with his curse and boon situation mm. from the Night Watcher slash Cultivation, where it does seem like he's just getting dumber and having you know greater empathy in that reverse inverse situation. But Hoyd seems to be missing a part of him. Something is gone that allows him to function fully. And I find that more interesting, especially- It's interesting to compare those two because mm-hmm. they are sort of similar in a way. And the end result is kind of similar. You have two idiots who can't really function without assistance, but how they get there is it's, way different. Well, and it's obviously very different. As you say, Teravangians is more about intellect. Mm-hmm. And there is something different happening with Hoyd, this idea of taste being- taken away it manifests completely differently and so getting to live inside these two characters heads a little bit less so with hoyd but a little bit to see how unique they're portrayed i think that's really great writing on brandon's part i absolutely agree and think that there are also similar themes throughout Mistborn Era 2 that deal with the sense of self and how important that is and what it means to be an alloy, a mixture of multiple things, how a self can change over time, how a self deals with trauma. All those things are kind of directly explored with the Wax and Wayne series. And I also think that there's something cosmerologically that's important with connection, identity, and intent Mm. all operating together and if like hoyd loses one of those it's not maybe the same as losing a bunch of breath to Terravodium back in the day but it is maybe just as damaging in a way hmm. i don't necessarily see those things as being the same i feel like the breath thing is definitely worse <laughs> i would agree you're probably right about that I'm glad that you said intent, though, because one of the super interesting things about this curse, like many things that we are discovering in the Cosmere, it is related to intent. I feel like sooner rather than later, we're going to discover that just literally everything comes down to intent in the Cosmere. Quote, the curse, like many magics of its ilk, depended on how the subject thought, on their intent end quote. And that is capital I intent. And Hoyd exploits this fact by figuring out that if he can control his thoughts, he's at least able to communicate a little bit in a way that makes sense more than uh, is usual for him at this point. And we have this sort of description of how he does this. Quote, I reached toward Tress and blanked my mind as I forced out a string of words. Listen, this is important, I said to her. I promise. You must bring me to your planet, Tress. Repeat that. Bring you to my planet? Yes, yes. I can save you if you do that. But you're already here. Here what? I said, having deliberately forgotten what I'd said. End quote. This concept of deliberately forgetting something so that you are allowed to say it in the first place is very mind warping. And while saying it, having to completely clear your mind so that you are not intending to tell Tress how to relieve your curse, right? You are literally just like reciting sounds that don't mean anything to you in that moment so that the curse will let them come out. 
Yeah, there's a little bit of a reminder to the good place when the characters need to talk to the judge on high yes, who hates no emotion, hates any emotion whatsoever, goes into a cocoon if he hears any emotion. And so they just null out their voice <laughs> and try to describe things as blankly as possible. Hoyt is doing something like that, blanking his mind, but he has to do that consciously and he has enough ability left to do that. And so that's what I was talking about him, like Hoy being inside, almost trapped behind the curse Mm -hmm. and like trying to find the cracks within the curse that he can get out Mm -hmm. and express himself. He also finds a loophole in a way of not communicating or not speaking when he wants to communicate something importantly. So normally he's just blabbing, blabbing, blabbing after someone answers him a question because the curse maybe just be like, talk, like respond. You want to respond, whatever. And when he says nothing, Tress is able to discover that like that means yes, functionally. Right. These interactions between how the curse works and this fight basically that we see on display between the sorceress and Hoyd does make me ask questions about other superpowered entities that Hoyd we know or think is going to go up against mm. in someone like Teravodium, but also someone like Zazed in the form of Harmony Discord. I don't think that relationship is going swimmingly at this point, uh, you know, post era two and into era three. I think there could be a conflict between those two. But let's stay on Lumar for a while and talk more about Captain Crow because she is not without knowledge of what is the importance or significance of Hoyd in this story. Seemingly, anyway. I find this fact very interesting and I don't really know what to make of it, but Hoyd was specifically requested by Captain Crow. Quote, how do you know so much about it? Tress asked. Captain told me. Ford explained. When she had me trade to get Hoyd on our ship. The captain specifically wanted Hoyd on the ship? Tress asked. Why? Don't know. She heard about his curse and his trip to the sorceress. End quote. So it could be as simple as she needs to get to Zysus, the dragon. She knows that the sorceress and the midnight sea is beyond where she needs to go. So Mm. if you've gotten further than when she needs to go, you know the path and you know how to safely get through the Red Sea. Yeah, I guess that's a good explanation. I guess I was just thinking she is not planning to go to the sorceress. Mm -hmm. And then it also seems questionable because it seems like you would take one look at Hoyt at this point and be like, this man is not fully there. I don't think he's going to be able to help me navigate, which I'm pretty sure is where they ended up. I don't think he offers any help to Captain Crow. And then it's interesting and surprising maybe that someone as ruthless as Captain Crow would then keep Hoyd on board, knowing that he would not be able to do what she wanted him to do. There may have been some trust in the relationship between Captain Crow and Ulam, who 100% knows who Hoyd is. Mm -hmm. And so if Ulam's relationship with Captain Crow, you know, dates back longer and they were talking about bringing on Hoyd in some way, I could at least imagine that of like, yes, you should bring that guy along. He will be important. Maybe. I mean, we don't really get any specific proof that Ulam is 
trying to help Hoyt in any way. He seems to mostly be around just to make fun of Hoyt. <laughs> like, I don't know how active he would be in Hoyt's liberation or if Crow had been like, we're selling him to the next ship if Ulam would just be like, good luck, buddy. See ya. Ulam does point out that he himself is nearly immortal as a Chandra mm-hmm. and that Hoyd is immortal. Yes. And I found that that distinction to be of significance. Absolutely. And then he also goes on to say that the sorceress probably can't kill him, Ulam, and that she definitely can't kill Hoyd. Which does make sense. At least we know that if this is in the far future, then Hoyd has not only survived a lot of bad things that seem to be coming to Rashar, but he's also stacked several powers by the point we leave him in Stormlight Archive, including a spren, breaths, and being a full Mistborn, that he's at least uh, holding the beat of Laracium. And I we think... There's yeah, there's a lot of examples. Yeah, of a lot of actual... examples of metal usage. I question whether or not he still has his spren bond at this point. It seems like we would see his spren, plus he's off planet. Yeah, Maybe they figured up... out a way to, you know, make the bond travel, but maybe not. And I think even aside from all of the powers that he has stacked, as you're saying, I think the immortality is separate from that, possibly a remnant of holding the Dawn Shard or possibly a side effect of whatever happened at the Shattering of Adonalsium. I wonder if there is an element of similarity between Hoyd and Vasher. We have talked a lot about the diminishing returns and the degradation over time of these type 2 invested entities. And I wonder if, yes, in the initial shattering of Adenalsium, Hoyd gets a bunch of, we'll just say, investiture momentum to move him throughout the Cosmere, but that he does need re-upping of Mm. certain types. And the best way to do that is through the powers of the shards after the shattering. I don't think that he is a type 2 invested entity. I think he's something different. Like, I don't think we know what Hoyt is. Because we would say that a type 2 invested entity does have to die, right? And come back. I think all of the ones that we know of, that is true. Or at least their spirit webs did a dying-like thing, and there's a temporary separation. And while it's a new source of power and, you know, an aether source of power, Hoyd does seem to have some interaction with the Midnight Spores in this story, and maybe other spores as well. Yeah, this is sort of a lingering question for me by the end of Tress. Earlier on, Hoyd, well, we we learn anyway that Hoyd gave Midnight Spores to Weave, the previous Sprouter before Tress, and then he refers Tress to them by citing these star patterns that are carved all around the Sprouter's room. And I'm just wondering, why did Hoyd give Midnight Spores to Weave in the first place? How does he know about these star patterns? Is he the one who carved them? If he didn't, who did? What do they signify? There's obviously one pattern that is the indication of where the midnight spores are hidden, 
But what do the other ones mean? And again, just why are they there and who put them there? And I don't know if we got an image of the star pattern that is being referenced, but I do wonder if it is the Cosmere symbol, which is heavily on most of our logos and whatnot, but is also, you know, of the broader Cosmere could be 17 shard-esque symbol. Mm, yeah, I mean, my I, I wonder if it is a star chart, like mm-hmm. if it is accurate to the skies around Lumar, and then if it is, then where is it showing? Yeah. And again, why? Like, why? why is it there? We don't get an answer, but I am incredibly curious. We have just a few other sort of random miscellaneous facts or fun little tidbits that we learn about Hoyd throughout the course of this story. He has just a a small mention of the fact that he is a world bringer. Quote, world bringers like myself spend decades combing through folktales, legends, myths, histories, and drunken bar songs looking for the most unique stories, end quote. So there we have sort of a description of what it means to be a world bringer. Of note is that world singer is the commonly used phrase, including by Sigzel in Stormlight Archive. World bringers is a different title, but we have seen them related before. Mm-hmm. And I am curious if there's a promotion <laughs> hierarchy where, you know, Sigzel is a world singer and Hoyd is a world bringer because he like uses other people or in his past collected stories. But now he's responsible for like bringing Hmm. something of culture or society to places. I would have to look back at the text. I actually don't recall if Sigzel says singer or bringer. I my sense is that he says the same thing as Hoyd. And then there is also like a an unrelated group, as far as we know, that are called world singers. But again, I would have to go back to the text on that. I think the important thing is that there are these like two groups that sound very similar and we don't entirely know what their relationship is. We took a quick moment to double check our references and we're each remembering like half correctly. Half correctly. So combine us and we've got it all. <laughs> world singers and world bringers are names of organizations on Rashar and Skadriel, respectively. The World Bringers maybe are a sect of Terrasmen or or part of them became the Terrasmen. They're the group that Sazed is originally a part of, the people who have copper mind abilities who Mm -hmm. are able to store all of the memories to preserve them. And on Rashar, World Singers, and Sigzel would fall under that category. Mm -hmm. There certainly is a connection, and we think that Hoyd was responsible for founding one or maybe both of those groups, but they here he calls himself specifically a world bringer. Yeah, that is extra interesting. I think we've heard him call himself a world singer before as Sigzel's mentor. Harkening back to this organization on Skadriel, is extra interesting. (laughs) Because to me, that says not only is he a misborn, he may have become a Ferrugamist 
over time and is now a world bringer, like holding a copper mind. Like that to me could be a new revelation here in a single line. And that difference between world singer and world bringer may be like Brandon's proof that he'll one day point to. Yeah, we will see. Let's go down a little bit darker of a path because Hoyt has this to say, quote, I have nightmares. My unique state of being doesn't prevent that, though I don't need sleep nearly as much as ordinary humans do. My greatest nightmare is the one where I learn I've been repeating myself for years, telling the same tired jokes, the same stories, energetically wearing a path through people's patience and fondness until even the weeds upon it are dead. End quote. The first part of that quote I find interesting from a Hoyd perspective, and the second part of the quote I feel like is Brandon coming through, and mm-hmm. I just like I just want to hold his hand and be like, Brandon, we will never get tired of you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I think you certainly have to be cognizant of how you may come off in front of a group of normal people. I, for one, had the pleasure of trying to explain this podcast to someone who'd never heard of Brandon Sanderson. And boy, is that tough. It is tough. I recently had to do that as well. (laughs) So that concept of just running through people's patience very quickly (laughs) is, I think, something all of us who are passionate about a project uh, might deal with occasionally but definitely the concept of not needing sleep as much as normal humans do Mm -hmm. to me is intriguing and of note and just any time that hoyd mentioned his unique state of being it just piques my curiosity and i want to know more oh i just thought that was his curse his unique state of being right now like no i think he means like his, his condition as mm. Hoyd. Like, yes, he doesn't need to sleep as much, but he still has nightmares, even though he is a something not type two invested entity, unique thing. <laughs> and let's go to maybe what he is having nightmares about. Because of all the takeaways, of all the Cosmere connections throughout Tress, I found this paragraph and really this single line to be one of the more meaningful and impactful statements of the Cosmere about like what is going on in the Cosmere point directly to, you know, link to this quote here. Quote, For your own good, you see. Ah, those words. I've heard those words. I've said those words. The words that proclaim in bald-faced arrogance. I don't trust you to make your own decisions. The words we pretend will soften the blow, yet instead layer condescension on top of already existent pain, like dirt on a corpse. Oh yes, I've said those words. I said them with 16 other people, in fact. End quote. The question of the shattering, the question of what happened to Adenalsium, what was the impetus of all of this and how did Hoyd play into it, is the deep question Mm -hmm. of the Cosmere. And now we have a description. And if it's to be believed, the answer was the 16 shards plus Hoyd, or the 16 soon-to-be shards plus Hoyd, looked at God and said, we need to kill you and destroy you for your own good. Oh, I did not read it as they would be talking to Adonalsium. Oh, who else would they be doing it for their own good? Like the world. Oh. That they were saying, like, this single god has become 
a tyrant has become oppressive in some way, and therefore this power needs to be split up. This is too much power in one place. And so for the good of all, basically, we are going to shatter it. Interesting. I had a different reading of this, and I think that that does like change the perspective quite a bit on like what they were doing. I want to go to a Reddit user, Azkin, who about that quote said, my interpretation was he and the 16 took up the cause to shatter Edo for Edo's own good, something like it was becoming unstable or something, end quote. I feel like there could be some similarities with what happened to Honor at the end of like, they weren't being Honor anymore. They may have had something that you know, fundamentally broke their intent or their mm. bond and had begun unraveling in a certain way. But I think Adonalsium is not the shards. Like, that is an incredibly important fact to remember. The shards behave as they do because they are pieces of power, not an integrated whole. But I- we think of it as an integrated whole only because of our current perspective, but Hoyt is saying, or at least in this quote, I think he's saying, it wasn't an integrated whole. It was not working, and us, the group, maybe the 17 shard, uh, but the the 17 of them. I don't know. I think that's being very optimistic about the intent of these 17 people, assuming that they were so magnanimous and generous that they like saw someone suffering and decided to help. I think the much more plausible answer is that these 16 people wanted power (laughs) and took action under the guise of like, this will be better for everyone. Yeah, I certainly think that that's correct. Like, I, I don't yeah. think that these are magnanimous people, but I think that's what Hoyt is saying. None, he's not saying that they were doing this and it was a positive thing. He is saying the lie of for your own good. I'm doing this for your own good ad nauseum. I'm taking your power. I'm relieving you of duty. I don't know. I guess uh, I just don't want to copy paste the paradigm that I know of with the shards onto adenalsium because we really, one, don't know anything about adenalsium. We don't know if it works the same as a shard at all. We don't know if there's even a vessel at all. And so I I just really hesitate to kind of copy paste like, well, you know, honor sort of started having a breakdown and whatever. And like, maybe it's the same with adenalsium. I just really hesitate to do that. My impression is that adenalsium is its own thing that probably follows rules at least slightly different from anything that we have seen heretofore. That's fair. And I think that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about the line then of Hoyd and the 16 saying this to either Adenalsium or or someone, something else, or everyone? I don't trust you to make your own decisions. Is that their group talking to everyone in the universe? And so we have to make your decisions for you? Yeah. Well, and I don't know if we have any proof that there are like other beings in the Cosmere at the time of the shattering or if it was just the people on Yolan and the other types of beings. So perhaps they are just talking about their planet. Mm. 
There are the dragons. There would at least be a lot of different species. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it might not be as wide as the Cosmere is currently in terms of population centers on multiple planets. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think they took a planet-wide poll and were like, hey, everyone, what do you think? Yeah. Should we shatter out an Alzium or not? They were basically just like, the 16 of us figured it out and have the power to be able to do it. And so we 16 are going to make this decision for everyone that we're going to shatter the only God that we know of. Because they don't trust everyone. Yeah, because we have decided that it's for the best. Interesting. Okay. Like I see that perspective. I'm very curious what the listeners are taking away from Tress. Do you see this sentence in line more directed to a broken ad nauseum, as I described, or as kind of the collective society, however big it may be, who's Hoyd talking to in this moment? Because I think that's going to be a way to understand the beginning, or at least of understand course. the shattering yeah. in a lot more detail. Let's end with another glimpse at the beginning, because user Drama Flow pointed out that Hoyd, as the narrator, functionally explains the reveal that Huck is Charlie at the beginning of the book, when we first meet Huck. (laughs) Could you go to the quote from the book? Quote, Do you know how many protracted adventures might have been shortened if the heroine had stopped to wonder, you know, maybe I should look extra carefully to see if the thing I'm searching for has been with me the entire time? End quote. I always love when authors play with their readers and give them all the tidbits. We have said it before, but I do think Brandon is a great mystery writer, and he has a lot of these elements of a good mystery story when like, you had all the clues the whole time, (laughs) and you just needed to Encyclopedia Brown and figure it all out. But I I was not able to. I did not see that reveal coming. me either. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening along let us know what you think about hoyd about tress and the entire experience of having hoyd as a narrator did you like it did you love it those are the only options (laughs) and you can expect one more tress centered book club episode coming your way soon brooke can you take us away until next time life before death strength before weakness journey before destination